Our scripture comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 and following. Hear the word of the Lord. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So the plants came up and bore grain, and the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles and to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Matthew thirteen thirty six and following. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have hidden truths for those who have ears in parables in the scriptures. Lord, we thank you that your word is for us this morning, that it's providentially a gift to us. So God, I pray that you would illuminate our hearts to be able to receive your word. God, that we might find both comfort and conviction through the truths that your word bring us through your servant this morning. And I pray for Brandon, God, that you would give him confidence in his preparation. But Father, also just a, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit as he proclaims your word to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, I, I, I didn't plan this, but hey, this is Brandon. Y'all know Brandon, right? Brandon is not only the jack of all trades at the church, the Swiss Army Knife as I've called him, for years, uh, who basically makes everything look great at the church. Uh, he just does so much from website stuff to, to event stuff to shepherding people to leading men, and he's just done so much in the life of our church. But, but not only is he, is he that, he's a very gifted communicator, and I'm just so privileged to have him here bringing the word to us. So would y'all give him a good welcome this morning? Thank you for that, Ryan. That was nice. So as, as Ryan said, this morning we're resuming our journey through our parable series where we're looking at the parables of Jesus and uh, what they have to say to us today. And today we're going to take a deeper look at the parable of the weeds. Uh, some of you may have heard of it called the parable of the wheat and the weeds or the parable of the wheat and the tares. I don't know what a tear is, but apparently it's some kind of weed. This is a kingdom parable, and what that means is that Jesus told us this story because he wants us to have a, a greater understanding of what the kingdom of God is all about. You see, at, at the time he told this parable, 
there was this great expectation that Jesus was going to come into power and go into Jerusalem and uh, stop the Roman oppressors and that the nation of Israel was going to rise again as the one true nation of God. This is what people were expecting. And now, this is a little bit of a spoiler if you haven't read the whole story, but the twist at the end of it is that none of that happens, right? Jesus goes into Jerusalem. He essentially uh, surrenders, and then he's executed. And even though he tried beforehand to prepare his followers for this eventuality, uh, they were actually quite surprised and dismayed by that turn of events. Perhaps even more surprising is that three days later when Jesus rose from the dead and proved that he was the Son of God, he didn't gather an army at that time either. That wasn't the time that he chose to march in and and, uh, free the Jews from Roman oppression. But what Scripture does tell us is that he has ascended into heaven and that he sits at the right hand of the Father. He's sitting on the throne, and he is reigning even today over the kingdom of God. But Jesus knew that this kind of chain of events was going to create some confusion for the early uh, disciples, and frankly, uh, there's some confusion that continues to this day. You see, he knew that we were going to look around us and say, where where is this kingdom? Why don't I see this kingdom? Why don't I see more evidence of Christ the King? I thought you were going to deal with the oppressors. I thought you were going to deal with the evildoers. I thought that you were going to make this a better world. And Jesus knew that the longer he tarries, right, the longer he is not coming back as more and more years go by, he knew that our doubts and confusion uh, were only going to increase. And so I believe he gave us these parables beforehand, uh, one, to give us a greater understanding, but also to warn us against making harmful assumptions and also to encourage us to be about the business of the kingdom. See, this whole question about the kingdom of God is referred to as a mystery. And when we encounter what's called a mystery in Scripture, that means that there's really, there's two verses, and they, they seem maybe at first glance like they're contradictory. For example, in Luke 17, Jesus tells the Pharisees that the kingdom is already in their midst. This verse and others clearly teach us that the kingdom of God is now, and it's here and now. And as Ryan preached just a few weeks ago in the parable of the ten minus, Jesus talks about going away to receive a kingdom. And other verses talk about him going away to prepare a place for us. Scripture clearly teaches us that the kingdom of God is yet to come. And so there's a mystery. How can both of these things be true? And the kingdom parables are given to us to kind of help us cope with the reality of these these two truths. You see, we live in this tension between the now 
and the not yet. The kingdom is established right now. Jesus is on the throne, and yet the fullness of the kingdom will not come until it is fully consummated at His second coming. And helping us understand this kind of both-and reality and how to respond to it is the whole point of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Because Jesus knew that we were going to need some guidance in this moment. Because He knew that we have a tendency to try and take control when we don't really know what's going on. Especially when we miss the fact that someone else is already in charge. I don't know if any of you have ever been a passenger in the truck with Pastor Ryan. Uh, But I'll say this, Ryan is a man who is very confident in the fact that God is not yet done with him. (laughs) And I admit that I have feared for my life a time or two when traveling around with him. And now over time, I have learned to trust in his ability to text and adjust the radio, lead an impromptu elder meeting, and follow within three feet of the car in front of us. (laughs) all at the same time. I'm exaggerating. The truth is Ryan's actually a very good driver, but here's the thing. I want to be behind the wheel. I want to be the one in charge. I want to decide where we're going. I want to decide how fast we go, how quickly we change lanes. I want to decide when we stop. And with all respect to Miss Underwood, I'm the same way with Jesus. I I do not easily hand Jesus the wheel. That took a while there. You guys took a little... Thought that was good, but all right. (laughs) It's an old song now. I'm not always sure what Jesus is doing, and I'm not always sure how safe it is. Right? I want to be the one in control. So this parable, I think it kind of reveals to us that one, Jesus is a bit of a prophet. He knew beforehand exactly how this world was going to be, and he knew a few things about how we were going to react to it. And so this morning, I want to walk us through three things that, that Jesus knew and the encouragement that he gives us about them. So the first one is this. Jesus knew that when things don't go our way, we tend to question his competence. The master sowed good seed in the field, right? And then the enemy came and sowed weeds among it. And specifically, he sowed a weed known as darnel. And this this kind of weed, when it grows, it looks exactly like wheat. It mimics it. And it's not until just before harvest that you can even tell the difference. At some point, the servants notice that things aren't right. And so what's the first thing that they do? They question whether or not the master did his job right. Did you not sow good seed? How then does it have weeds? If Jesus is on the throne and his kingdom is established, how then do we have so many mass shootings? If we're living in the kingdom of God, how then are so many unborn children aborted? If God is doing His job properly, how then 
is racism a thing? Or terrorism? Or any other ism? If God is ruler of the natural universe, then why are tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and wildfires wreaking havoc in our lives? Sex trafficking, drug addiction, pornography, greed, gluttony. Name a sin and look around and it appears like it's on the rise. Did you not sow good seed, God? How then do we see all these weeds? Our tendency to question God in the face of evil is nothing new. It's an ancient problem, and theologians refer to it as the problem of evil. How can the all-powerful God, who is also all-good, allow sin in the world? People have tried to come up with a solution to this uh, mystery for centuries. I spent a lot of time with that question this week, and I think I figured it all out, so I'm going to share it with you (laughs) right now. So if you're going to write something down, get ready. We don't know. We don't know. It's another mystery that we find in Scripture, because Scripture clearly teaches that God is sovereign. He has foreordained all things that come to pass. And Scripture also clearly teaches that God is not the author of sin or evil. And and I suspect that the reason Scripture does not give us a neat and tidy kind of explanation of how these both can be true is because uh, we, the created, are finite. And He, the Creator, is infinite. And we simply cannot comprehend the perfection of His goodness. But what we do know for certain is that the God of the universe does not have to justify Himself to us, His creation. But Jesus knew that this was going to be a sticking point for us. And he doesn't try to you know, explain it away or justify his own existence to us, but he does tell us all that we need to know in this parable. An enemy has done this. The devil, Satan, the enemy, he is the one who is responsible for the weeds. Sin and evil entered the world through Satan, disguised as the serpent in the garden, and he's been sowing bad seed ever since. This is not the work of the master, and it's not the result of God making a mistake. But Jesus knew that we would doubt, and so he gave us this simple encouragement. He's not surprised by the evil that we see around us. Do you want to know a secret? I doubt God sometimes. Ryan and Megan, they doubt God sometimes. Your discipleship group leader doubts God sometimes. It's okay to have doubts. It's normal. 
It's natural. And Jesus knew that it was going to happen. The antidote to doubt is faith. But faith is not something that we can manufacture on our own. It's a free gift of God's grace that comes from hearing the Word of Christ. God doesn't have to justify Himself to us, but He has promised that He will increase our faith if we're in His Word and we ask Him to help us with our unbelief. So when we look around and we see that the world is not the way that it should be, that the weeds seem to be thriving, we can rest in the freedom of knowing that the kingdom is okay. Jesus is still on the throne, and He saw this coming. He's not caught unawares. It's simply His will that for a time we endure the presence of evil. Jesus knew that we would doubt Him, but also Jesus knew that when we see a problem, we're going to jump in with a solution without having all the facts. Now, I think it's important to have a plan when you set out to accomplish a task, especially if you've never attempted that task before. And I'm reminded of something that happened when I was just out of high school. There was a, there was a young woman that I was trying to impress, and uh, she needed new brakes, so I offered to change her brakes for her. I figured I'll just swap them out. She'll save some money. I'll look manly. We'll fall in love happily ever after. Once I got the wheels off of her vehicle, I realized that a 1990s Honda was a very different machine than my 1960s Volkswagen. And uh, I didn't let that deter me, though. Even though it was more complex, I, everything came off pretty easy, and I figured I can just swap things out and then just put them back together in the reverse order and everything would be good. But to make this long story short, uh, an hour or so later, I had to confess to her that I didn't have any clue how to put those brakes back on her vehicle and that she was going to have to find a real mechanic to take care of it. And it just so turns out you can't, you can't go to a real mechanic without brakes on your vehicle. And so she wound up uh, having to pay for a tow truck as well. So it didn't work out between me and this girl, but I did, I did learn a valuable lesson, and that is when you don't know what you're doing, it's best to stay out of it, or else innocent people wind up getting hurt. See, it's human nature to try and fix problems, and I think Jesus understood that when he told us this story of the wheat and the weeds. The servants wanted to jump in and uproot the Darnell, right? But the master knew that they couldn't do that without inadvertently harming some of the wheat. You see, the master knew that they weren't actually that good at distinguishing the difference between the wheat and the weeds. Not as well as the reapers would be at the appointed time. But it's difficult for us, I think, to see the imperfection of things and, and not want to fix it. We see that things aren't right and we just we have to set things right. And we tell ourselves that it's for the sake of our children or it's for the sake of the church or the sake of holiness or for justice. But the reality is we really just want to be in control. You see, Jesus' plan 
is to let things be broken for a while. And, you know, we think, I think I got a better plan than that. I think I can do better. Now, don't get me wrong, the peace and purity of the church throughout the world is an important thing. In fact, if you become a covenant partner here, we ask you to make a vow saying that you will further the peace and purity of the church. And there are certainly times when it is appropriate for us to call people to repentance. And there is certainly a time when good people have to stand in the face of evil and say, not here, not today. But it seems to me that nowadays people are kind of putting themselves into two camps. There's those who yearn for the good old days, and there's those who yearn to make the world a better place. And there's nothing wrong with striving to bring positive change to the world. But here's the thing. Whether we're striving to revive good traditions or we want to progress to a more loving and more tolerant future, the reality is that the weeds are going to continue to grow right alongside of the wheat until the harvest, which Jesus said was the end of the age. That's God's plan. And whether we like it or not, Jesus is the king and not us. But it's not like we're losing, we're fighting a losing battle. Jesus makes it clear that there's an ultimately good conclusion that's coming. But if we think that we can create some kind of a, a Christian utopia by identifying which people are the weeds and just removing them, we're simply not in alignment with God's will. We're trying to take control and we're trying to climb up onto His throne. And I think that was the enemy's plan all along, right? Create confusion and let the servants of the master wreak havoc throughout the field. Robert Capon says it like this, that is precisely why the enemy goes away after sowing the weeds. He has no need whatsoever to hang around, unable to take positive action anyway, having no real power to muck up the operation. He simply sprinkles around a generous helping of darkness and waits for the children of light to get flustered enough to do the job for him. Goodness itself, in other words, if it is sufficiently committed to plausible right-handed strong-arm methods, will in the very name of goodness do all and more than all that evil ever had in mind. You see, the servants, they saw the weeds as the enemy, which is great as far as an agricultural metaphor goes. But Jesus clears that up when he tells us that the weeds are actually people. And people are not the enemy. Ephesians 6 tells us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against people. But we wrestle against rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Not people. And besides, the servants don't even know the difference between the weeds and the wheat. And neither do we. The weeds and the wheat are so entwined 
It's not possible to kill one without harming the other. Jesus knew we were going to want to take control, and so he gave us a better way. He said, let both grow together until the harvest. It's God's will that the wheat and weeds live side by side until the end. Now, how is this better, right? Well, because it's the gospel way. And let me show you something cool that I uh, discovered this week. The word let in that statement, let both grow together until the harvest, that word is aphiomi, which in the Greek is translated in different ways. So allow me to show you another instance of this word in Scripture. See, not too long after Jesus gave this parable, he found himself being crucified on a cross. The God of the universe who could have called down the host of heaven to smite all of his enemies in that moment lay on a cross hanging, suffering, and dying for crimes that he did not commit and in that moment, he says something truly amazing. We see it in Luke 23, verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive, aphiomi, the same word. It's the same word we see in the Lord's Prayer when we've been taught to pray, forgive us, our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, a fiamy. You see, this was a kind of a spiritual pun. The early church, as they were reading this in, in their original language in Greek, when they got to this sentence, let both grow together until the harvest, they would have smiled to themselves and they would have thought, forgiveness, forgive. See, Christ, when he was surrounded by weeds, dying on a cross, he thought of forgiveness. Because even though he knew that there was a day coming when there would be righteous judgment on evildoers, for now, he is singularly focused on one thing, the work of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus knew that we would want to implement solutions to the problems of the weeds. But guess what? God already has a plan for the redemption of sinful man. And as much as we want to see evildoers get what they have coming, God's plan is better. Forgiveness. Jesus gave us this parable to encourage us to remember that but for the grace of God, we would be weeds. And those who appear to be weeds right now may actually be good wheat. When I think of the difficulty to tell the difference between the two, I think of Charles Templeton. Many of you have maybe never heard that name, but he was actually quite famous for a while. He is one of the founders of Youth for Christ, and he was also the partner of Billy Graham in the Evangelical Crusades. 
People who knew both of them said that Charles was the better of the two preachers. But by 1995, he had declared himself an agnostic, and he wrote a best-selling book called Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. You see, everyone who knew him would have said he is definitely wheat, and yet it appears that he was weed. Of course, I think of the thief on the cross who led a life characterized by sin to such a degree that he was arrested and crucified on a cross, and yet in the literal last moments of his life, he professed faith in Jesus Christ, and Scripture tells us that right now, he is in the presence of Christ in paradise. Everyone who knew him would have said he was a weed, and yet he was weed. And then I think about my own sin. And if I dwell on it long enough, I realize that I have more in common with weeds than I'm really comfortable with. But for the grace of God, I'd be destined for the furnace myself. The good news is, Jesus Christ led that perfect, sinless life that I could never live. And He paid the price for my sin, which is death, on that cross. And His Holy Spirit even now empowers me, although it's imperfect, to overcome the temptation of sin. It's only the truth of this and the gift of faith that enables me to somehow believe it that assures me that I'm not a weed. But if I can barely know about myself, how can I possibly know about anyone else, whether they're wheat or weeds? And so we were faced with this reality that the people around us, they're either wheat or weeds, but we can't really tell the difference. And really, that only leaves us with two choices. Get busy with the work of the kingdom, which is sharing the gospel, or get busy with the work of the enemy, which is anything else. Is there someone in your life that you are pretty certain is a weed? Are they worse than the thief on the cross? Are they worse than the Apostle Paul, who before his conversion to Christ approved of the murder and persecution of Christians? Is their sin really that much different than your own? We don't know the plan that God has for the apparent weeds in our lives. And if we simply avoid the weeds, or worse, if we try to uproot them and rip them out of our lives, we might be causing harm to someone who is actually weed. I think maybe we just set down the weed killer, right? And maybe we just spread some of the fertilizer that is the gospel. Jesus knew that we were going to question his competence, and he knew that we were going to jump in and make a mess of things, and Jesus knew that we would be so distracted by the weeds that we might miss the beauty and goodness of the field. You see, the servants of the master, they're pretty upset about the presence of the weeds 
in the field. But really, in the grand scheme of things, right, for all the work the enemy put into this, it didn't amount to anything more than mere mischief. Not a single stalk of wheat was not brought into the barn, and not a single weed escaped the fiery furnace. Yeah, there's, there's difficulty and sorrow because of the presence of evil in the world, but ultimately Christ is on the throne, and there's nothing that the enemy can do about the eternal outcome. But our desire for justice, I think, can be really distracting to us. We don't like seeing evil people prosper alongside of us, and we think something must be done. Why isn't anything being done? But Jesus is not an absentee king. He's not unaware. He's not doing nothing. Jesus does restrain the evil of this world. It's restrained in the common grace of the human conscience and in the civil authorities and even in our cultural norms. Things are nowhere near as evil as they would be if Jesus was not on the throne. This should be a great encouragement to us. And Jesus does assure us that in the end, the wicked will receive their just punishment and the righteous will shine like the sun. Justice will prevail, and, and this is perhaps the greatest encouragement of all, that it's not our job to fix the brokenness of the world. That's God's job. It's not even our job to sort out who the good people are and the bad people are. That's, that's the angel's job. Our job is to forgive. Sharing the gospel with everyone we encounter in the hopes that on that last day, it'll turn out that they're weak. When I think about this parable and I think about the fact that all the enemy's plans have really come to nothing, it reminds me of the story of Joseph. You know, Joseph was an Israelite who was sold into slavery by his brothers because they were jealous of the relationship he had with his father. He was taken into Egypt where he had a rough time of it spent some time in prison. But God was watching over him, and he began to rise to prominence, and he eventually became the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And when famine struck, he was able to save his people, the Israelites, by bringing them to Egypt, where they could have food. And yet, when his brothers were reunited with him, they were afraid that he would use his new power to punish them. But what he did was he forgave them. And he said something amazing that we see in Genesis 50:20. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is the beauty of God's plan. It seems like everything is broken, but the reality is He's working everything for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. The kingdom has not yet been fully consummated, but it's here right now. And, and we can rest in that freedom 
The freedom that comes from allowing Christ to be the one who sits on the throne. And when we do that, we can see the kingdom. And it's beautiful. And it's good. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I confess that I'm one of those people who wants to jump in and fix everything. Lord, I, I ask that uh, You would help us to be a people who trust that You are on the throne. That we don't take action before checking with You. That we read Your Word and that overall, Lord, we learn to forgive and proclaim the gospel. And pray this in your name. Amen.